Sorry about that. Here we go. One, two, uh, uh, uh. Welcome, everybody. It's time for Hollywood Godfather podcast again. I don't know who looks forward to this more than we do. We're hoping it's you because you're showing up and listening. Pat, good evening, my friend. Megan, a millennium. Megan. Good evening, everyone. Haran. Am I getting your last name right finally after a year? Close. You're getting close. It's Haran. Haran. Yeah. Haran. Okay. There it is. You got it. Show. All right. Well, you know, if I if I didn't have my name sewn in my suits, I wouldn't remember mine either. So. That's why I forgive you. It's all good. Thank you. It's not because I don't appreciate you. Believe me. No, I know that. Don't worry. So we're going to continue from last week's show. A, a mentor that was in my life until he died, literally till 1996. His name is Sidney Korshak. And for the people who didn't listen to the show, you could, there's volumes and volumes of things to talk about. But we're going to concentrate on his influence in Las Vegas because I happened to be there while he was doing a lot of this. And uh, I, I'm, for the people who don't realize, I, I started going to Vegas in 1959. I already knew Koshak at that time for about a year and a half. And um, he already made the deal for the Riviera Hotel, and uh, that was for the uh, Detroit guys, and they had a guy called Eddie um, Eddie Torres. How do I remember his name? Eddie Torres was the president of that hotel. And then they, uh, the Argent Corporation, they purchased the Stardust Hotel, and they made Al Sachs the president, and, and a, 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 a nice... Another nice Jewish boy, Herb Tolman, who I've gotten to know for, over the years. And as we move up to the Strip, St. Louis made a deal on the Aladdin, and uh, Sarkis Webby was the president of that hotel. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to shock myself. How do I remember all this? But anyway. Yeah, it's amazing. But Korshak made all these deals. And for the people who go to the new Las Vegas... He was the legal advisor to Steve Wynn when he bought the Golden Nugget and he used borrowed money to buy that hotel. A, a, a lady called Kitty Rodman who owned Sahara Construction. Her husband just passed on and Steve Wynn was such a charmer. He was having meetings with different construction companies to remodel the, the Golden Nugget that is downtown at the time, and then he went on to, you know, build the Mirage and the Bellagio and then the Wynn and all these other projects. But this what is... Became of, I'm what sorry. became of Kitty Rodman? Kitty Rodman passed on. her. She put up a construction uh, bond with Perry Thomas, which was Valley Bank, and they put up enough money, and then Michael Milken, if you remember... Sure, the Wall Street guy. He, well, he created he created the junk bonds, and a, a few of us made a lot of money on the ones for the Golden Nugget, and that's what started Steve Wynn in his his hotelier ownership throughout the world, and still in Macau also. I just talked to Steve recently, uh, a good friend of ours, Al Malnick, I could say his name. Yeah, he talks to him every once in a while, especially for his birthday. And which I love his attitude because uh, most people know he just lost his big hotel in Boston for a billion four because um, his wife, Elaine, which I've known for years, ratted him out to the Boston Gaming Commission <laughs> that he misused $3 million of uh, a 
I think it was a Mirage stock to, to quiet a lady in uh, that Me Too movement. And the minute she made it, her portfolio lost 15 to 20% along with his because they diluted their own <laughs> stock. The stock well, dropped. And they, and they, they that's asked. A, that's, I mean, that's a combination of two old cliches. Right. Gorn and you're cutting your nose off despite your face. Right. I mean, that was not very bright. But uh, I'm, I'm sure Elaine is sorry she did that now. But sure. And, and as we all knew then, d- during the, uh, the, the, um, the 60s and, you know, the 70s, they were the, basically the glory days of Nevada. And it was all run by the mob. All the hotels were from another, like New England had, had the uh, Dunes Hotel. Every, every uh, casino was controlled by a different family. But the majority, as I pointed out, the deals were all done by Sidney Koshak, which I find that amazing that he was that held on to it. And then comes a guy come called uh, Howard Hughes and changed the whole posture. Was there a uh, composite character in the movie Casino that portrayed Koshak? Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge at all. Because I, I would have, I would have seen it yeah. immediately, and I, I did watch the movie eventually. Like I, like I didn't realize that Alan Dorfman, and then until they shot him, who's Alan King, was a friend of mine, and Alan King portrayed Alan Dorfman, and Alan Dorfman uh, was a, 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 you know, a, an associate of the Chicago outfit, and he had probably the biggest insurance companies in the world and they wrote and underwrote the uh, the Teamsters, the Culinary Union. I mean, their, their membership alone. But And then Dorfman fell out of grace and they killed him in the movie like they showed in the parking lot. He's getting well, the too powerful. The way they portrayed it in, in the movie, uh, uh, whoever was uh, pushing the buttons at the time said, you know, He's a good guy, and we don't know if he's going to talk. And, you know, we're not too sure, but what the hell, let's just make sure and kill him, basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was indicted. That's why they didn't know where they had flipped. And I, th- oh. I, th- I think they made the right bet, bid on him. He was a billionaire. Why does he want to go to jail for 30, 40 years? He couldn't handle jail. No. Because they, they found out that he was kicking back money, and they needed him to go after everybody they were trying to get. So the best thing was to do was that, obviously. But the, the, I think knowing the mob and even a guy that early in my life I was uh, introduced to, Sam Giancana, he was in that, that meeting, that initial meeting at, in October of 57 when they were organizing how they're going to get Senator John F. Kennedy elected as president. And that's when they all came together into New York. And Sam, uh, my thought was the worst judgment in the world was put a guy in like Tony Spilatro to oversee Chicago's ownerships and casinos. What was wrong with it? What's that? That's to oversee. Everything was running smoothly. Well, that's what. But they needed somebody to you know to make sure nobody was robbing. They needed an image in the casino. They always had it. And a couple of guys were getting a lot older. And, um, you know, you'd have dealers, account, people in the account room, if they thought there wasn't fear. They ran that city out of fear all the time. Yeah, but they could have sent somebody else. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, anybody else other than Tony Spilatro, man. But, uh, and that's, you know, and uh, the good news, I mean, and when I wanted to ask about Alan Dorfman, I called up an old friend of mine, which I shared with you, Pat. I called Nick Pelleggi up. And I actually wanted him to come on and talk about making the movie, but he wouldn't, and, uh, but he gave me some insight on it. But Nick Pelleggi, you know, he did, a, he did a forward for us on our book. That's that for the people who don't know, he, he wrote the book that the, the movie Casino was based on. The book was called Wise Guy, but they couldn't use that uh, title as the film 
because there was a TV series Wise Guy, right? Which you were on, uh, and they didn't want to confuse it, so they called it uh, Goodfellas, uh, Casino rather. Right. Yeah. But but Nick, uh, well Nick wrote the screenplay also for for the with, with uh, Corsese, you know that for the, I, I, for the movie The Casino. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he wouldn't do our show, huh? What's that? He wouldn't do our show. No, he, he he did one, he said, and he was sorry he did it. He got all kinds of feedback and a lot of stuff he didn't need. He said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm retired now. I'm living out in Long Island, and uh, my wife will kill me if I get that kind of recognition again. <laughs> so, well, that happened with us with Jerry Segal also. These older guys, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, they, they don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, I can understand it. Yeah. Peace at home. Well, Gianni, if I could interrupt for just a moment, if we please. want to go to a quick commercial break. Does that oh, sound good? Oh, yeah, please, please. Especially this one. It's Cordelone Fine Italian. And you go to the website, and you're going to, I mean, you're probably seeing so much of it already, but um, go to www.cordelonefineitalian, and you're going to see skews of stuff. Our alcohol, our tomato sauce. We own Genko. Not we. I shouldn't say I represent the company. I'm I'm just the ambassador, the brand ambassador. I don't need all my ex-wives calling their lawyers and saying, "Let's see if we get a piece of that company." He must own it. I don't. Thank you. I'm saying that to the world to hear. But the the, the stuff is amazing. All the ingredients are out of Sicily. Maranzano tomatoes. Jenko Olive Oil is probably one of the oldest olive oil companies in the world, producer for us, and um, Barbera family, which been in the olive oil business since the 1800s. So, and thank you for being a sponsor for our show. We appreciate it. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneBuyingItalian.com that's CorleoneBuyingItalian.com. Moving on. May, may I just add something about olive oil? Yes. You can't find real olive oil. I mean, 90%, and that's an accurate figure, of olive oil in this country is not olive oil. It's blended. Ours, yes, it's, ours is certified by the Sicilian government. It's blended. It's spoiled. Oh, yeah. It, olive oil or anything even closely resembling olive oil no. so uh you know it's a there's a lot of fraud going on and if you have the genuine stuff like you do you're going to notice the taste right away oh immediately yeah. olive oil tastes like, you can actually drink it my grandmother used to drink a shot glass every morning with a raw, <laughs> with a raw egg that. in it yeah. Yeah. Your heart. yeah okay so back to las vegas the, the Vegas that most of you know, after the mob was pushed out by our good friend uh, Howard Hughes, who brought in the mob, his whole executive office was Bill Dana, Bob Mayhew, even, uh, I mean, I can go down through the whole list of them all, but they were all FBI mob people because they weren't allowed to infiltrate private business, but he found a way around it. So... Let's touch on Casino, and which is probably uh, one of the better films I've seen, and we could take that apart piece by piece. <laughs> yeah, I think arguably Casino and Goodfellas are the two best mob movies ever made. And if you want to talk about a low-budget mob movie, maybe we could throw in uh, Mean Streets in there, which was okay. next. But that was done on a shoestring. I believe that was uh, De Niro's first film. If I'm not mistaken, but oh really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 I thought Taxi Driver was for some reason. No, no, Taxi Driver came way. Really? 
did you see Mean Streets? No. Never saw Mean Streets. No, I really, I'm not, a, you know, it's funny. I've done 46 motion pictures, but I'm not a film buff. Really? I don't have a, a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, De Niro looks like he was 16. And I mean, he looked, it's the first picture, very young. But you, you can see that he was going to be big one day. And because of him, uh, that's why the, the, the movie uh, did so well. You know, who is this guy? Right. Uh, he, did a, he did a superb job. But it takes place in Little Italy, the entire movie. Uh, and it's it's a very character driven movie. You can tell it was shot on a very small budget, but the acting was uh, unreal. Uh, but anyway, th- those three. But the uh, casino, very uh, very well done. I, I like to. I think that some of that movie, uh, the dialogue was ad libbed. Well, a lot of it was because you know you had geniuses. Being Joe Pesci and and De Niro, I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't think I don't think De Niro repeats the same line in the same scene when they do takes and takes. He, he just keeps changing it around. There's a, a scene in there where uh, Pesci and De Niro meet out in in the desert to iron out some problems. Right. It goes on for maybe seven minutes. They're screaming and yelling at each other. It couldn't be scripted. I just, it, it doesn't seem to me that, I mean, some of it, you know, this is the direction we're going in. Right, right. They said, do your own thing. And I, uh, it's, that's a, a one of the, the, the best scenes in film, I think, is that scene where they're arguing in the desert. See, and a lot of people that I've seen about that, they were wondering why Joe Pesci's character, who was Tony Spilatro, yeah. didn't take him out because he had no patience. But I think if he would have touched... Rosenthal, who was the, the character he was playing, the the money he made in sports book, for all the books around the, he was the handicapper, and that's why they opened that sports book. That money, and a lot of people don't know, a lot of legitimate bookmakers throughout the United States had guys on the street in Vegas when they were lopsided on games or horses, especially sports, They'd go in and bet it right there and take the edge off of it. That's how much they relied on Rosenthal. He made well, millions and millions and millions of dollars. If Spilatro, or in this case, Joe Pesci, or whoever you want to refer to him as, would have would have hurt uh, Rosenthal, that would have been the end of Pesci. Oh, I know. He, he, the lefty Rosenthal was a huge moneymaker. Right. And he, that's what the mob is all about. You know what? I wanted to ask Nick Pelleggi yesterday... Why didn't they have Frank Sinatra in that movie or a character playing him? Because by that time, Frank Sinatra was so embedded with these two guys, and I don't know why. In fact, Lefty Rosenthal had a Sunday night local show, and Sinatra was a host on it so many times. That was the radio show you're talking about. Yeah. No, but it was a television show. No, it was a television show. And Lefty Rosenthal used to wear a fedora like Sinatra, t- tilted to the side. I mean, this guy, I don't know where the hell he was going or what he was smoking by then. And, and his wife, which I met early on, because the only reason he was allowed in the building at the Stardust to get him licensed, they made him the entertainment director. So the Stardust had all the Lido girls. So he picked one of the prettiest girls, and that was a whole life at that time, and he would just shower with gifts like Rosenthal did in the movie just to keep her happy. And then uh, Pesci, she went from booze to to drugs. Was was Lefty Rosenthal as fastidious as they portrayed him in that movie with his clothes? I mean, there's one scene there where somebody wants to see him in his office. He's behind his desk. And he's, he's always suit jacket tight. He gets up, he's got no pants on because if he had pants on, he'd be wrinkled. Yep, yep. His face would be ruined. Yep. Was he really like that? And he got that from Sinatra. If you ever go see Sinatra in his dressing room, yeah, he puts his pants on just before he's ready to walk out on stage. So that's why I'm saying he stole a lot. I mean, I, I do the same thing. I stole it from Sinatra. I don't. When I go on stage, there's not a crease in my pants. And I would never wear the same pair of pants 
when you were doing two shows a night. Because I think you have to, you know, D. Martin told me early on, the first three or four minutes of you being on stage, people are looking at your outfit, your clothes, your ring, your stuff. So sell them first and convince them first you belong there. And that was Dean and Frank. Yeah, but with, with uh, uh, Lefty, for this particular scene, he's in his office alone. Right. Well, he's not wearing pants, you know. I mean, who's he impressing then? That's, that's a little uh, sort of OCD. I was just wondering if, if he was actually like that. You know? Yeah, he was like that because what most people don't know, in the casino business, you're always on the floor, meaning the casino floor. Yeah. So you're walking around, you always want to look great, and that's one of the fetishes they all had. But uh, I used to see guys coming in with you know the shirt, the tie, carrying the jacket because it was so hot. But they had the jacket and the pants on the hanger until they got to work and they put it on, <laughs> not to be wrinkled. But you know, but, 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 Johnny, what? if you would, sorry, sorry, if you would excuse me just a moment, it's yeah. time to go to a quick commercial break. Wow, I love it. And this one is dear to my heart because it's La Cosa Mia. And you'll all be seeing this line in February. I'm so proud of it. It's something I wanted to do. I had so much time during the pandemic. I literally sat down, sewed all the patterns. It's a collection of clothing that will be available in February. We're just preempting it because I want to. So remember, La Cosa Mia, and it's my thing. Our second sponsor tonight is very close to me personally because you know how I love to dress. La Cosa Mia will be coming soon. This is just a teaser. Each week we'll be bringing you more ways to get in touch once their website is up. This line of clothing is from all over the world, and I'm sure you'll want to wear it. We're back. Back for more. All right. So, why I called Nick Pelleggi yesterday, I wanted to know his take on Alan Dorfman. Now, Pat, you know the character, and Alan Alan King played him. That was odd casting, you know. I mean, the, the guy was a comic. Right. How did he get casted? Well, look at they they cast they cast uh, Don Rickles was a comic. That's true. Yeah. That's the last guy I, I would think, of, you know, that anybody would have thought of to put in, 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 in those two places. But I think he did a good mob. mob. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they were great. I mean, that's obviously the casting director or the director said, I don't care what anybody thinks. Right. These guys are. Well, in that's Scott Chasey. Huh? That was Martin Scott Chasey. Didn't he direct hello. that? Yeah. Yeah. Hello. He does what he wants. He loves Don Rickles, though. He loved Don Rickles. Don, I thought, was very good, and I knew the guy, the real guy. What was his name in, uh, in real life? Well, I don't want to say. He's, he's still around? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and his kids. No, he's very well connected out of Chicago. All those guys were. I mean, there were so many people in that thing that I knew on a daily basis because Nick Nitty and I, were in the Stardust most of the time. That was one of our big hotels to move money for because that was Tony Accardo. Chicago owned that hotel. Owned it, man. You know, uh, one of the actors that isn't generally discussed when you talk about Casino was Frank Vincent. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, Frank Vincent uh, was a character, uh, he was kind of fleeting in my book, Undercover Cop was the cop who uh, was trying to break into this northern New Jersey crew, worked in a club that Frank Vincent was appearing in in the 80s. Uh, he was a singer. And in between sets, he would sell grams of Coke. I guess they weren't paying him enough. Oh, wow. And when we published the book, Frank was still alive. Uh, and I, I said, we're, we're going to hear from this guy. Yeah, but we didn't. We never heard from him. Well, then he went on to Sopranos too. Yeah, I and, mean, and, but they they he got convicted on it. That's why they could come couldn't come. He got busted on selling cocaine. Oh, he did. Okay, I didn't. That, know that's that. why he didn't come. Believe me, if he could squeeze a dollar out of you, he would have. No, I knew well, that. I got sued over that. 
Right. Sued me for fifty million. Somebody sued me, one of the wise guys, for fifty million dollars in that book. Yeah, but that'd go away. Well, it didn't go away because the publisher, you know, we he, the, the guy's contention was that he wasn't associated with the mob, and uh, all I had to do was send him a copy of his Facebook page, where he has his arm around the uh, boss of this particular crew, and it was a current <laughs> picture. I mean, the guy was obvious. He just wanted to, you know, hit yeah. them up for a couple of bucks. I said, "Well, now you don't have to pay him." He says, "Well, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna send him a twenty five thousand dollar check." Hello, because it, it works you know, for him. And that, I said, "Don't do it," because if you do it for him, every white guy whose name is mentioned in that book is going to have their hand out. Well, they didn't believe me, and guess what happened? They they paid more guys off. I don't know. I divorced myself from it. I said. I showed you that he was he's actively in the mob. He's been an associate for 30 years. And they said, yeah, we can see that. We're paying him anyway. Who was the I, publisher? I can't say. Well, the bottom line, they didn't pay it anyway. They malpractice insurance did. I know it, but they... Yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, why pay anybody if you're right? Particularly with these guys. I mean, any way to make a quick buck, they'll do it. If one person gets paid off, I say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try Right. You know, it's not gonna hurt. I don't know exactly what happened after that, and I don't want to know. But you know what the interesting you saying that is where where we're at with I think with even Korshak because Korshak bowed out, and what happened with every hotel, and I don't care which one you name right now. I mean, once the mob stopped running Vegas, and you know. The FBI or the corporate guys came in and started running it. It went all downhill. And that's why you could see vacancies and the, and the whole Vegas right now during this pandemic. You wouldn't even want to go. I mean, it's crazy what they did. Was, let me ask you this about Korshak. When the FBI started, uh, you know, when they finally became successful in, in, in cleaning out Vegas, all the hotels, casinos, did, uh, Korshak was on paper as an owner for these hotels? No. Oh, okay. Not on paper, no. He negotiated all the deals. He negotiated for Steve Wynn. He negotiated for Al Sachs. He negotiated for Eddie Torres. Anybody who was on the license. And for the longest time, one guy who never, never got licensed yet, and now he's passed on, they've been threatening him, the Gaming Commission, since the 50s, was Mo Dalitz. Mo Dalitz never got licensed. They 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 honored him as the man of the year, Brene Breath. I mean, this guy stood under the radar, owned the Las Vegas Country Club, owned two casinos downtown, and never was called into the gaming commission. <laughs> he wasn't on anybody's license or anything. He was just a silent partner, then, right? Yeah, but they knew he owned it. Well, I guess uh, knowing. And proving the two different things. Exactly. And, you know, he was always up for, for, for licensing and never, 30, over 30 something years. They never called him to the Gaming Commission. Smart guy. He, uh, he died a natural death. Yeah. 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 He was my neighbor in the Las Vegas Country Club. Yeah, that I remember. No, it's, it's funny. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, to me, Spalatro. And everybody knows the the movie. Vegas never came back after that. And then you know, and and the reason Sam Giancana got killed because he couldn't control him anymore. They they said bring him back in. He's destroying everybody's property. He's running it like he runs the city. He's crazy. What did Giancana do? Well, they couldn't bring him in. They killed him in his, his, his Saturday morning while he was making. Sausage and eggs for somebody that knew him. They put two behind. They put. In other words, they were trying to prove a point. They already killed Spilacho and his brother, but Gene kind of had to go because he screwed up. Right. Exactly. Couldn't control it. But that's why I never joined the mob. <laughs> Smart move. I never joined the Boy Scouts. I didn't trust them. And now we're finding out they're pedophiles. See, I was I smart. A, I can tell you that a joiner. You did? 
No, I said I can tell that you're not a joiner. Oh, yeah, definitely not a joiner. <laughs> uh, uh, Groucho Marx once said, any organization that would have me as a member, I wouldn't join. <laughs> Smart move. That's a, I, I like that, though. I never heard that. Oh, yeah. One of his Perfect. numerous famous quotes. In fact, I want to give a, a shout-out to Gus Russo for our audience. If you want to read a great book about the mob, Get Super Mob. It's by Gus Russo. And uh, it's, it's worth the read to see how embedded the mob was while this guy was heading them, buying legitimate properties and all that. Made them billionaires. Is he any, any relation? relation to no. <laughs> there we go. No, not, we're, no it's, we're, not at all. In fact, I knew him a couple of times. In fact, he, call, he called me, uh, Pat, to want to write my book. And uh, I just said, you know, I, he don't know me. He really didn't know me. It's, it's funny. So what did you say? I'm, I'm waiting for the writer that I haven't met yet. No, it's so funny because <laughs> even Dan Moldia, who now, who's now writing Jules Nasser's book, and he's, you know, he's, he's basically producing our Hollywood Godfather 10-hour miniseries. And he's, he's known other than being, you know, uh, he, I mean, he's made so many motion pictures. He made all the Seagal movies. He was, an, uh, he was the AD. I mean, he, he learned his craft from uh, Sergio Leone. He did all those cowboy westerns as, as, as a, uh, an AD. And now he's doing our movie, and he says to me, I have best regards for you. <laughs> I said, from who? He said, Dan Moldia. I said, Dan Moldia, how do you know him? He says he's writing my Hi, biography. Patrick Picciarelli here. And I guess he's a little... Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I he's writing about. Private investigator write Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes <laughs> I thought that and was The Pop Line. Both books are on paperback and are available anyway, on Anyway, I think it's time for one more commercial. I've been a PI for 30 years, and, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. We got this down this time, man. We're getting to be so professional. I mean, who's sharper than us? Only took me 48 years. <laughs> hey. No, who said we were in a hurry? Right. Okay, we're back for the mailbag. The, one of the... What can I say? I, I don't want to say anything's better than one part. But this, I really enjoy the mailbag and hearing what people say about us. You know what's good about it, too? We don't know... What's coming? Right. We don't do these questions ahead of time. Yeah, Megan, yeah, just me. Megan keeps us in the dark. I love it. <laughs> Makes it more spontaneous, you know. <laughs> All right. First one is from Jose. Jose asks, "Why did the Italian mafia never do business with the Mexican cartels?" Well, at first we weren't supposed to deal drugs. And who said they're not doing business now? <laughs> I, I, I knew a lot of guys are doing, I knew just from Pablo Escobar that they were doing business with him. That's how he was invited down. Oh. So our, our friend Jose should be aware that the mafia is once again a secret organization. It didn't used to be under John Gotti, but it is now. Right. All right. Next is from... Aaron. Aaron says, what type of impact did Lucky Luciano have on the Mafia? Well, he was one of the founders of the, of the syndicate. He saw the opening, and he was dealing with Mylansky already and, and was had, had holdings in, in Cuba, and he realized, you know, it has to be, it has to be a, a stronger power, and they created the syndicate, and he was a founder. So Luciano, he he knows he he he's the mafia you know today with the legitimate businesses and 
a lot of stuff you don't know, they brought into what's supposed to be, you know, a, a, a mort. All right. Next is from Jeff. Jeff says, aside from JFK, what kind of interference did the mafia have with elections over the years? I know about four. <laughs> you hear the expression, vote early? Well, the, the, the mafia had one that went, vote early and vote often. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> if they could possibly be involved, they'll be involved. I think the first one that I know about was Truman. That was their first involvement, as I know. Huh. And that's on a national level, a lo local level. They got they, they had their fingers in local elections. Forever. Oh, Mayor Daly was their guy, hello. And then his son. Jimmy Walker was a mayor of, of, uh, of New York. Right. I mean, he practically came out and admitted he was a thief. Yeah, he was at Tammany Hall every day with Frank Costello. Everybody loved Jimmy Walker, so they gave him a pass. I mean, if that wouldn't happen now. He'd be uh, indicted before he got up in the morning. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but, they, but they loved Jimmy Walker. He, he got banished to Mexico. He, he sort of skipped out. Right. No, they're, they're involved in any election that they can be involved in. All right. Next is from Raffaello. Ever had any young up-and-comers in life try to shake you down, or do they respect you, Gianni? Well, I mean, up-and-comers that didn't know. <laughs> I had a couple of them when I opened State Street, and they learned their lesson about five minutes after they said it. <laughs> we also have to tell the listeners that a portion of our book has to do with a betrayal toward the end of the book, if you recall. Right. Uh, so there's always somebody with with their hand out when they see somebody's doing well. Right. Friend or not, all of a sudden they become your ex friend. Give me the money. Right. No, but uh, read the book. You'll you'll understand what we're Absolutely. talking about. The Hollywood Godfather podcast. I mean, the Hollywood Godfather book <laughs> is named because of the pod. Because I'm, I don't know what I'm saying. Go no, ahead. I Keep going. Beep beep beep. All right. <laughs> Next is from Antonio. Antonio says, Johnny, what are your thoughts on the O.J. Simpson trial? Oh, my God. Uh, my thoughts are he was guilty, 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 guilty. I think the, the, the state didn't present it right. When he couldn't put his glove on, I mean, if it fits, it quit. If it don't fit, it quit. I mean, that, that, I don't know what happened to that whole thing. I did, uh, uh, I actually taught a semester-long class on the O.J. Simpson case, and when I started out the class, the first day, I would tell everybody to close their eyes, all the students, and I'd say, by a show of hands, who thinks he's innocent, hands would go up, who thinks he's guilty, hands would go up, and it was divided along the racial line. Oh, well, really? I thought he was guilty. At the end of the semester, everybody's hand went up as it related to guilt. There was no possible way when people know the facts, what ruined the case, what gave him the not guilty verdict was uh, uh, Chris Darden, who was the second chair. He was the prosecutor, but he was the second chair. He was elected to, to closing arguments to the jury. Why? Because he was black. And they figured, uh, you know, it, it would relate better than uh, 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 the, uh, a, a white prosecutor. Right. It's he gets up before the jury, who's been sitting there for months, separated from their family because the jury was sequestered, and they wanted out of there. The first words out of Chris Darden's mouth was, and he regretted it to this day, was, members of the jury, I know this case is going to be difficult to decide. And as soon as he said that, he realized he said the wrong thing. Because the jury said, oh, yeah? If it's difficult for you to decide, <laughs> then how hard is it going to be for us? Hello. Not and to this day, whenever he goes on a talk show, uh, anything he writes, he regrets that statement. Because they're looking for an excuse to get the hell out. Wow. wow. I, I never, you know, I, I followed it for a while. Then I, I, I knew the family. I knew everybody. I knew her. And uh, that poor kid that got killed along with him, what a mistake. He was just returning her mother's glasses to the house. 
But OJ oh, was okay. so enraged. Yeah, an open and shut case, DNA on the scene. Footprints of the shoes he said he didn't own. Right. I mean, it went on and on, and, on, and uh, he had a great defense team who uh, led uh, uh, people to believe that it was a, a huge conspiracy out of everybody that was there, like 45 cops and lab technicians all got together, not knowing where O.J. Simpson was. He could have been out of the country at the time, decided they were going to frame him. And people swallow that. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous. He wrote a book to end this uh, question. O.J. Simpson wrote a book called If I Did It. Uh, did you hear about this? That was about 10 years after the trial, wasn't it? Yeah. If, if I Did It, I read the book. He confesses to it. Right. Pathetically. To make a couple of bucks because he was broke. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, what a travesty of justice. Oh, my God. Everything well, now, double double jeopardy is another bad law, I think. Well, he was, he was acquitted. He can shout from the highest rooftop that he killed these people. Right. He can't reach him. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, it's frustrating. Next question. Wow. All right. Next is from Marty. Marty says, I'm sure you've gone over this before, but would you please remind us, what is your take on the JFK assassination? What do you think happened? What? We can't even answer that question. <laughs> By the book. Are you kidding me? I can't even answer that question. You don't have enough time. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we need an episode for that. But read the book and you'll know the truth. Please. All right. Next is from Paul. Paul says, Gianni, besides The Godfather, what do you think has been the greatest highlight of your career? In movies, obviously. Any Given Sunday. I loved Any Given Sunday. I had a lot of them, though. I had the, Any Given Sunday I loved. I loved uh, doing The Freshman because uh, Matthew Broderick and Bruno Kirby already passed on. Brando, Maximilian Schell. These were fun movies. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, even striptease. I, my ego drives me. So to be with all these movie stars and making these kind of movies... I can't pick one. It was fun. Why, why, did, why didn't you include Lepke in that list? I, I, there's another one. Lepke was a great one. I, I'm saying I love that's, Lepke. That's a very underrated film. Yeah, very good movie. No, I, I've been blessed. I got, you know, all the movies I made made money, and, and they're you know acclaimed in one way or another. They're all good. So we can't answer that. That's or I can't. All right, next is from Sebastian. Sebastian says, Gianni, did you know Louis Prima? I love Louis Prima. Are you kidding me? I spent hours and hours and hours at the, at the, at the lounge at the Sands Hotel. Those he, of you who haven't heard Louis Prima, he's, he, he's all over YouTube. I mean, uh, his music is never outdated. Just listening to the guy, you can't sit still. Yeah. I mean, and Sam Butera on sax. I know everybody in his band. Then when Keeley was with him, forget about it. Sam Butera. Oh, my God. Sam Butera and the Witnesses. Yeah. Great guy. All right. Next is from Stephen. Stephen says, Gianni, what role have you not played that you would like to? Wow. All the ones I didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> Was there oh, any, no, is it down? Let, let me ask you a question. Uh, was there anything you were offered uh, in a film that you turned down? No. I, I, I was second runner-up for the longest time. They always wound up like in Pulp Fiction, uh, Midnight Cowboy, all of these things. I mean, not Midnight Cowboy, Midnight Run. All those movies, I lost to Dennis Farina. And you, you can have a passion for this. Dennis Farina was a Chicago cop that went to drama school and became an actor later on in a show called Vegas and then became a, 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 a huge motion picture actor also. Yeah, he was on uh, one of the last seasons of uh, uh, Law and Order. He was a great, well, he, he played a cop. Right. I mean, how difficult was that? Right. But he was good at it, and uh, he passed away young. Yeah, I'm a good friend of mine. He had his last dinner right on the corner here where I live at my cousin's restaurant, Scanna Nutella. And I, I used to call me all the time, come down here. And then he died, I mean, 
I was so young. I knew the girl that he was going with. I felt so bad for her. But Dennis Farina, what a gentleman. All right, next is from Michael. Michael says, hi, all. I've been listening from west of Ireland from the very start. Love the podcast. Did Gianni ever meet Murray the Camel Humphreys, who was involved with the Chicago outfit? Yep, I did. He was early. He, he was one of the major outfit guys. Didn't Humphrey was the best. Yeah, that uh, I used to see him all the time at the Palm House. He's a good guy. How does he know? How old are you, guy? <laughs> He's obviously a, a, a mob history yeah. expert. He was a Seems brilliant like guy, though. That's a, that's a name that you don't hear often. Right. No. All right. Next is from Jim. Jim says, Pat and Gianni, when you were younger, who were your celebrity crushes? I don't think I was ever younger. Oh. Okay. oh. Uh, me, when, when the first one that I I recall was Annette Funicello. Oh my God, that was I can understand why too. You probably watched obviously uh, obviously you watched the Disney Channel or something. Mickey Mouse Club. Mickey like Mouse Club. Yeah. Eight years old, and but uh, she was gorgeous, man. I mean, now I was that, that that was my first celebrity crush. Uh, That's funny. A lot of a lot of Italian guys say that had nothing yeah, to do uh, with her bust. Just that she was pretty. <laughs> How about you? My my first crush, I remember this. I was in the theater, New York Paramount, coming out of the water. I saw Sophia Loren in a movie called Boy and a Dolphin. Yeah, I saw that. Very and she had a man's dress shirt on, with a, with with a knife strapped around her with a belt pulling her, singeing her waist in. When she came out of the water, soaking wet, I was in love. <laughs> Doesn't take much. No. <laughs> mm. All right, next is from Asaf. Asaf says, Gianni, can you tell us any Jerry Lewis stories? I'll tell you the one that, the most famous one. I didn't realize Jerry Lewis was getting a piece of the muscular dystrophy marathon. Really? Uh, not marathon. Uh, what do they call that thing? Telethon. Telethon. His brother-in-law owned a publicity company, and they got 15% of the take. And when I found that out, I, I wanted to bitch smack him. You mean to tell me that he actually made money on that? I am shocked. Yes. I am shocked. And that's why, think about it. He lost the hosting of it, and nobody said why. They found out what was going on. And that's why, at the end, it made more sense when he was crying. He was crying because they didn't make enough money. He wanted more money to come. They were pulling in $100 million, you know. Insane. I, I can see why he shed a tear when he lost that. But uh, hello. Anyway, you heard it here first, because I've never heard that anywhere. I'm telling you, look it up. I, I have no doubt. But, no. Uh, and muscular dystrophy swept it under the rug because all those corporate checks, all that stuff. Not only that, if anybody hearing that, who's going to contribute? Exactly. If somebody's breaking? Yep. No good, man. All right. Last one for tonight is actually something that I wanted to ask you on air, Gianni. Oh, okay. um, so by now, people have been hearing the commercials about La Cosa Mia by Gianni. And by the time this airs, it might be out already. We'll see. So I ask you this. Can you tell us a bit about the brand and what the item is that you're most looking forward to creating? If you want to go over some of the pieces, maybe. Well, I've already created some great shirts. It's all unisex line. So it's for men and women. Uh, the lounging pajamas and all of that. Um, and I'm, I'm only designing per season, three jackets per season. Because I want them to be numbered and, and, and collect the pieces. No one's ever done this before. There's only a dozen shirts coming out. There's a dozen scarves coming out. There's maybe two dozen types of shoes. Because I, I can't tell you what shoes. And everything is color coordinated. The belts, the scarves, the socks, even ties. And then next season, there'll be another three outfits coming. When you're talking about jackets, you're talking sport jackets. Yes. Okay. 
sports jackets. Yeah. So do you have a favorite piece? I, I love them all right now. They're just coming out. Well, my knowledge, we're broadcasting the commercials even on our shows currently. But February, it's the marketplace. Well, that this will air in February, so. I know. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. That's why. I'm, I, you're right. I'm sorry. It's not a commercial. That's all right. No. No, so go. <laughs> I, I would say go to Dillard's first. We made a deal for 380 Dillard's stores. And... Uh, what our, our dream is, and I think we're going to get it, we're going to be in a kiosk in the men's and women's departments. So you go to one place and see all our stuff. That's you go to the shirt rack, to the jacket rack, or tie rack. Everything's going to be there. So it makes it simpler. And I'll be in every store. I promised I'd go to every store. Can't wait. All right, that's all we have for tonight. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I thought we were doing a general commercial. We're talking about the show itself. They might be able to go out and buy it by the time this is out. Oh, yeah, you will, definitely. All right, well, thank all of you again. Keep all the reviews coming. It's increasing our audience. We appreciate you all over the world. God bless you. Good night, Pat, Megan. Good night, Megan. Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3033. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. Welcome to Feinstein's. I love being here, man. It's so much fun all the time being here. Yeah, 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 yeah.